0: unzip that monogrammed faux leather bible carrying case and cover pull up a chair and let's dig in Well, gosh, Aaron, it's been a while. So uh, how are you doing? It's been about five minutes since our last episode (laughs) that we recorded. I'm still the same. Still the same. You know, it's funny. We're recording late afternoon. I'm in Texas. You're in New York. But both of us have been taking layers off throughout this Uh recording session. I don't know what's going to be. I think it's that late afternoon sun that's hitting my window here on Waco Drive. And I guess hitting your window on uh, Gramercy Elitist Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) I think... um, and we're just, we're just, we're hot. We're hot with the gospel. It's just bubbling and, um, up. pretty soon so. we're going to be, it's going to be tank tops. Time for yep. tank tops. Uh, so t- we're recording today for uh, this 13th Sunday uh, of Pentecost, after Pentecost. And uh, this will be for your sermon on, um, on August 22nd. So again, getting into the end of summer uh, and... But at the same time, at least in Waco, this Monday, the 23rd, is when our kids go back to public schools, at least, and Baylor students are moving in, and so it is the end of summer. It's still hot outside, but it's, uh, at least here in Texas, it's hot outside, and and uh, fall is coming, and it's sort of people getting back into the swing of things. Newcomers are going to be visiting your church who have just moved to town, and or just come back from vacation, kind of coming back to church, uh, and post Covid maybe kind of again as vaccines spread, and uh, again we're recording in May. So if there's new some new variant and we're, we're back on lockdown, uh, you're still going to get this episode from a time when we thought things were going to get better. So just uh, deal with it. <laughs> but uh, but maybe we'll be going back to like normal life and stuff like that. And I mean, I hope normal so. Normal ish. I hope yeah, so. So we hope so. So the readings that we're looking at for this Sunday are First Kings chapter eight. Uh, and there's some optional verses, verses 1, 6, and then 10 through 11. But the non-optional verses are 20 through 30, 41 through 43, as the lectionary committee wants to chop up verses to try to get you the main heart of the story without really, really, really super long passages. And then we have our last reading in the book of Ephesians. Next week, we're going to move to the book of James for the epistle reading, the second reading. And it is our last reading final reading in john chapter six we've been in john chapter six since uh july 25th this is our fifth sunday in john chapter six really stretching this one out really milking it uh so uh as we now dive in as we end or or kind of uh get to this not end but get to the next part of solomon's life um uh solomon wants to uh wants to uh build a building yep
1: and, uh, and indeed, he does. This is the great temple of Solomon. And, uh, and I love kind of how Solomon begins right there, and he takes the place as, I mean, this is kind of a type in a shadow, him standing before the altar. He's not of the tribe of Levi, but functioning as both priest and king. And, uh, and he spreads out his hands to heaven, and he says, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven and above the earth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants, etc. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful prayer that just really articulates uh, the work of God. And he says, "But will God indeed dwell on the earth?" This is a very interesting question. And um, indeed, uh, they thought, you know, uh, God just isn't experienced anywhere. In those days, He was uh, experienced somewhere very, The true God was experienced somewhere very specific. Mm. But, um, uh, like, uh, you know, and that was the temple. That was the temple. And this place was to be the place by which all the nations of the earth, because there's this whole thing here with foreigners coming as well. But this was to be the place where all the nations of the earth would come and through Israel worship uh, 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 Yahweh in both spirit and in truth um, and in place. However, um, the good news and what this particular passage ultimately points us to is um, the fact that uh, this uh, Solomon points to a greater king who is indeed both priest and king of the order of Melchizedek and indeed uh, does dwell on the earth, lays his life down, and then pours out his spirit upon the whole world so that God not
0: only is just somewhere specific, but in your very yep. heart, the uh, the the thing that's going on here. This is kind of this is a high point of the project of saving the world. Yeah. So if you this you know you yeah. go back to Genesis one and everything's great. Genesis one and two. Uh, that's a great point because after this, it's about to yeah. Buckle. This is this is the the roller coaster hitting the very highest point, all the potential energy right at the top of the of the arc, and then we are going to just zoom down real fast and. Um, and mm. there's no, it's not a fun roller coaster ride. So the the project is to save the world. Everything fell apart in Genesis three. Since then, uh, God has been trying to redeem and restore the world. And first, uh, He calls Abraham and says, "I'm going to give you land, and give you lots of people, and you're going to be a blessing to all nations." Uh, and miraculously, in their old age, they have a child. Uh, and ultimately you know, his descendants end up in Egypt, finally get out of Egypt, finally get to the land. And now, so it's sort of all come true. And there's this temple, uh, God's glory dwells in it. I mean, this is the thing, like this cloud is there. The priests can't even minister because of this cloud. Like God, this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that the temple was not like a church where we go and we Mm say, you know, these days it's cool to say like, God's everywhere. I can worship him on the golf course. I don't need to go to church. Uh, and, uh, which is actually not true. That golf course is the one place where God does not actually dwell much more of a tennis guy. Um, but, um, Mm -hmm. the, (laughs) or on your like weird little hiking trail. He's not there either. Um, so, um, uh, that was not the belief back then. Like God's glory, his actual manifested presence dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And that was not a weird idea. Every ancient Near Eastern religion believed that their deity was connected place. Uh, Which is why um, in the Old Testament, when somebody like Naaman the Syrian comes to faith in Yahweh, he has Israel dirt put into a cart and taken back to Syria so he can continue to worship Yahweh there. So, um, uh, so. It's grounded in place, but even here, as Jake, you come, kind of, this is all pointing to Jesus. And if you hear us saying this about the Old Testament over and over, so you get bored with us saying it, like the Old Testament's about Jesus, well, sorry, Jesus says the Old Testament's about Jesus in Luke 24. Uh, he says that, you know, the law and the prophets were all about him. So, uh, here, this question, um, it, it kind of makes, to me, this always makes the, the incarnation of Jesus stand out. Because it is so incredible. If you look at when God dwelled on the earth before, it was in this temple and you couldn't even stand before him because this cloud is there. Uh, the glory of the Lord is overwhelming and overpowering and, um, and Solomon is aware that, you know, there's no way God can dwell on it because the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain God, especially not even this amazing temple that mm. he's built. Um, and then we get to John chapter 1 and the word of God was made flesh and dwells among people um so the incarnation is an incredible testimony of god's love so i would say that like the the main idea here is that is that god coming to earth to love you in such an accessible way must mean that he really loves you if he wants to save you um and i think also you can underline the fact that this is the last other than jesus this is the last greatest attempt to for human beings to be in relationship with god uh god's dwelling on earth you can come you can offer sacrifices to god his presence is actually there and it all fails because solomon like all human beings lets you down and and ultimately stone crumbles and that's why we have jesus christ who lives forever Mm -hmm. that's good Yep, i know so then we come actually to the
1: uh fact of the struggle is real the struggle is real everyone and uh and what god uh what god gives us to um endure and um And handle the struggle. So we come to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Where Paul uh, gives this very uh, powerful illustration and I don't know if you're on Instagram maybe you've seen the guy Servant Mike run around and he's always quote, have you seen Servant Mike Aaron? No but clearly I need to. Oh my Servant Mike he's like this like cholo he's got Jesus tattooed on the side of his face and he's a lock and pop break dancer yeah. and his whole thing is, is that he goes around to like youth groups all over the country and he tells people to put on the full armor of God but he does like the break dancing while he's doing he's like put on the whole God and uh, and I find him extremely like winsome and annoying at the same time. I love but it. um this is it, uh, you know, and uh, Paul is basically uh, articulating the reality that we face as Christians. Uh, you know, we uh, once we are uh, baptized and brought into the kingdom of God, um, well, that's where the struggle gets real. And uh, these people are facing it in Ephesus with all sorts of temptations and trials. And he reminds them at this moment, after he's talked about the gospel, he's laid out. What was the fancy word you used last week? Paranesis yeah he lays out his paranesis gosh that's good and then uh um and then he, <laughs> he uncovers <his> <laughs> and then he begins to uh basically tell them what life looks like but uh he says be strong but not be strong in yourself be strong in you know doing your part but be strong in the lord and in the strength of his power and he calls them to put on the whole armor of God. And essentially what this is, is a description of a Roman outfit, uh, which would, um, uh, a Roman soldier's outfit, which uh, illustrates, is like a, as we talk about preachers, you need to use illustrations. This is an illustration of what the imputed righteousness of Jesus looks like. And you notice in this particular text you know a lot of people always want to talk about taking ground and taking the land back for jesus and taking the country back for jesus because it's lost its christian way and uh, you notice paul doesn't say anything about running into battle or taking anything back he just simply says because as i mean i love that quote from that great dutch theologian abraham kuyper uh, when Jesus rose from the dead he did there was not one square inch of this world that he has not declared as his mm. and uh, so therefore as Christians we simply stand. Uh, we stand therefore and if you notice what's interesting is, is that there's one thing part of the part of the body that is not covered and that's the back. Um, your back is not covered, uh, but that's because Jesus has your back, that's and right. so he's got your front, he's got your side, he's got every part of you uh, covered, and so what you simply do is stand because the battle has won- has been won. And I think this is a very powerful passage, especially as you go- you're you talking in Waco, getting ready for uh, you know kickoff and welcome back, and as uh, we're getting ready also, we've got another month before we do that here in New York City, but... This is a real wonderful time for evangelism and a time to invite people to church, but uh, Christianity at this time can get pitched as like a busybody sort of thing and a bunch of things you need to be doing and buzz, 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 buzz. And remember St. Paul says, you are completely covered and uh, you uh, therefore can stand uh, because you're strong, not in your own strength, not in your own power, but in the Lord's.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing that Paul has very clearly in mind here is uh, spiritual warfare and the power of the evil one. He talks yes. about the wiles of the devil. I still not really sure what the wiles are, but uh, he talks about the rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil The, in the wiles the wiles of the devil is actually very
1: interesting. I um, in the Greek it's it's the methods. Ah, okay. And so it's interesting because I've been studying this particular text just on my own. It's the methods of the devil. Like that's what it would be translated into the English actually. And so the point is, is that there's not one, one play when he says the wiles of the devil, it's not like, okay, well, if I finally get this, I'll be safe. Or if I get that, I'll finally be okay. No, no. The wiles of the devil are always going to be coming at you no matter what until
0: you're finally uh, dead and risen. And notice how Jake studied that passage on his own and didn't share his insights with me before the broadcast? <laughs> That's fine. I mean, well, whatever. You know, it's fine. Just, no, you know, no, it's good. Yeah, you win, Jake. Okay. I, didn't
1: even, I, didn't even, I didn't even know this text was coming up. So yeah.
0: anyway, but praise God. It's <laughs> providence. So we have the, uh, also the flaming arrows of the evil one in uh, verse 16. So... Uh, the armor of God uh, is, um, you know, Brene Brown uh, talks about armor and how we put it on a lot to protect ourselves um, in a way that is sort of a, a works-based righteousness in, mm-hmm. in Pauline language, sort of, let me put on my front that look. I look really cool, I, I want to look like the smartest person in the room, I'm, I want to look like I have it all together, I want to tell you I'm fine. This kind of well, that's armor. why I told you I was studying on it. I know exactly. Time. That was your armor. So uh, you know when you brag about your accomplishments, like this is kind of armoring up. And she talks about that. And that's not what she's talking about. He. It, this is not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about um, uh, an awareness of the devil and um, making sure you have defenses against that. And um, and in, in a sense, you're you're a vulnerable warrior. Um, you go to proclaim the gospel, uh, and your only weapon, your only offense, everything is a defensive weapon, kind of a protection thing. The only offensive weapon you have is the sword, which is the word of God, um, which mm-hmm. is a message really not to attack. It is a message to preach peace, to preach reconciliation, mm-hmm. to the, preach the, gospel the grace of, peace, of God. Yeah. yeah. So, that it's this very kind of counter, it's a warrior, but it's like, you're not really a warrior, you're a... You're a lover, not a fighter, in a sense. Um, and yeah, that's you, that's exactly right. Yeah. Christians are not waging war. It's not about a culture war, but it's about waging peace. Yeah, uh, and he and he just it's just beautiful that even Paul, at the end, this you know arguably the greatest apostle and preacher of all time, an evangelist, says, "Pray for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make." Known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, so you know everybody sometimes feels timid. Everybody feels like they don't know what to say when talking about the gospel. Um, but this is this is the work of God to do it. So that's why even Paul says, "For ask for prayer." And as as he's in jail for his faith, he still asks for prayer yeah. that he would be bold oh, to powerful. communicate the message. So
1: I, I, yeah, I do want to say yeah, do I it. do want to say something too, too. The you know the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, I mean, the implication is there. Um, no one just, you know, picked, if, if you just pick up a sword, you, you can hurt some folks. And, you know, and I think that that is like, I mean, getting back to preachers and why we're so, I mean, why we think this particular program is so important and why we think the ministry of preaching is so important is because it is the sword of the Spirit. And just like any other any other weapon I mean in the wrong hands can just just be uh, you can mess a lot of things up Mm -hmm. and so this is you know the sword of the Spirit is something I mean which is the Word of God to learn how to use that by rightly distinguishing between law and gospel by giving people the grace and goodness of Jesus and not a bunch a handful of moralism this is what it's all about and this is why you know I mean why that, why I think it's described as a sword because you know it can it can jack some people up if in the wrong hands, you know. And so, um, keep tuning in,
0: yeah. And uh, speaking of tuning in, now we tune into John chapter 6 56 through 69 as we end this uh passage, this long teaching about bread and Jesus here, uh, you know, people turn away from him, uh, he's been speaking. These strange words about drinking his blood and eating mm-hmm. his flesh, uh, and uh, and uh, and living forever, and it's, and finally we learn where. Well, John reminds us where J- Jesus is. He's in Capernaum, which is a little fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, this inland lake, and it is the hometown of Peter and Andrew, and it's where Jesus had his home base for his ministry. And he finishes this teaching which to us sounds wonderful. Eat this bread, live forever. Who wouldn't want that? And we kind of have an Mm -hmm. understanding of it. It's Eucharistic. But again, for them, it would have all sounded very strange and very weird. So they have a pretty honest response. This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? Um, This teaching that God the Father sent Jesus and that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Like They're just like, who can do this? Um, And... uh, um, or Jesus says kind of in response to this um, he acknowledges the reality that a lot of people will not accept it Uh, Mm -hmm. it is um, it's hard and that there's some who even now don't believe and he mentions Judas who will betray him so some foreshadowing of Jesus' death but he repeats something that he said earlier, you know, he said no one can come to the Father unless the, to me, unless the Father draws him, and repeats it here, no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. And it says because of this, many of his disciples turned back. These weren't just like people on the fringes of the crowd. These were actual disciples of Jesus. And to me, it's an indication that one of the things that people who follow Jesus sometimes want is we want Jesus to give us the winning strategies of life. And because Jesus doesn't do that, instead what he says is, you have to eat my flesh, you have to accept the fact that you are not in control, you are a sinner, you are weak, and you need help from the outside, a sacrifice for your sins, not something to be your coach in life. Um, it's the dethr- Following Jesus is the dethroning of you. And uh, people don't want that. He says i don't want to have to be drawn by the father i want to i want to go myself i want to have my own agency and be in charge um but it says because this many of the disciples turned back and no longer went about with him it was just too much um Mm. so uh and simon peter has this amazing response when jesus asked do you also want to leave me go away and he says lord how where are we going to go you have the words of eternal life so uh i mean how would you preach this jake what would you what do you add to that
1: I mean, I would, I would. Uh, I, I mean, I would touch on the same thing exactly. I mean, I think w- you, the interesting thing about this particular text, versus like kind of where we're at in a, as a society, is that what Jesus is essentially saying here is that I'm God. Yes. And uh, and uh, I am God, and I am what, like you said, the dethroning of you. I am what you need. And in those days, for those people to hear this, I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about, there's probably something like him asking people to eat him, you know, would have been like, holy crap, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? But essentially what he is saying is is that I, I am your Lord. And uh, this is what really freaks people out, whether it's... in. In those days because he's equating himself with Yahweh today everybody has a hard time with that as well so I think that you know everybody wants to we love Jesus the prophet we love Jesus the man this is what they heralded him a couple of weeks ago if you remember when he first fed fed the 5,000 they were like oh this is the prophet we're all cool with that but but to get you out of the way is a real thing and uh, and this is why I think what makes what Peter says so profound. Where are we to go for you have the words of eternal life? Mm. Um, because there's nowhere else to go. It's either you doing it or it's Jesus done it for you. Yeah. Uh, there's no in between. And uh, that is the message that Jesus is saying here. It's not you do your part and God will do his. You do your part. It is Jesus has done it all. Or there's nothing else.
0: Yeah. And if if you uh, are someone who finds yourself viscerally reacting against this idea, um, I would ask you, in your spiritual life, if you believe it's something like you do your best and God does the rest, does it feel like God is doing anything or does it feel like Mm. you're doing everything? Yeah. Because usually if you've got some sort of 50-50 split with the Lord, it really in in practice, what it ends up feeling like is you have to carry the whole weight yourself. And um, that's exhausting. It leads to burnout mm. and atheism. So uh, um, hear, I love hear the it. words of life from Jesus. Yeah, Jake. Yeah.
1: And, well, just finally, I mean, the, the words that you preach, preacher – I mean, on a profound level, when they're the gospel, they're his words as well. And uh, those words, just like the sword of the spirit and why it's so important to distinguish between law and gospel is because when you muddle those words, then you muddle the spirit and you don't bring life. But the words that Jesus has spoken is eternal life because it says that I have done everything for you. I am your active obedience. I am your total total righteousness before god i'm your nourishment i'm your absolutely everything and uh but when you muddle that well then you wind up giving people moldy bread and the only thing that does is make people sick and leads to death Mm. and you're absolutely right there's no there's no in between there is absolutely positively no in between and that's what jesus lays out and that's what peter understands
0: at this moment when you said you're my everything, did you were you meaning to quote Barry White, or was that just like a subconscious <laughs> thing? It was just, I was channeling my inner Barry White? He's so, always in uh, there, always in there. Yeah,
1: I mean, we I love how he says it. He says. You know, and this is the powerful thing. This is Peter, the guy who didn't... It's not like Peter was now, from this moment on, on an upward trajectory. You know what I mean? This is like day in, day out, hourly experience. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That is a confession that you are the Messiah. That's what he's confessing here. And, uh, you know, and this is going to be the same guy that when the chips are down is going to deny that Messiah. Our life is filled with, like, ins and outs, highs and lows. But in the end, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to come back to this. Where are we to go, Lord? Mm. For you have the words of eternal life. And uh, give that to your people on a platter.
0: That's right. well, we'll see you again next week for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, uh, where we read one of the not really juicy parts of the Song of Solomon. Uh, we <laughs> jump into uh, another epistle, the Book of James, and we My get back, favorite. we get back Years and Martin Luther's, and we get back into uh, the gospel according to St. Mark. Um, as we really, read,
1: there's no more John chapter six.: We're
0: done with the Johannine <laughs> Gospel no the more. one chapter we've exhausted so, this chapter we've drained it to the dregs we squeezed it like just like a, like, a, like an old lemon rind nothing but anyway. left that's like a, a deep cut Led Zeppelin reference alright so oh, that's good Barry I White and Led Zeppelin in one episode I know, anyway. I know it's the kind of stuff you're you right, my everything alright so, Cool. well Jake All right. we'll see you next week peace somebody's looking somebody cares somebody